Stop it with the L's, Mark. Guillotine. Guillotine. Mystery Maniacs. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to British mystery TV. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the ma'am, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week we're covering Old Father Brown. Yes. From 1974. Talk about loony. Oh, there's loony. <laughs> we chose the two looniest of the whole lunatic asylum that is 1970s Father Brown. I had forgotten there were multiple decapitations in my episode. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But before we dive into all that, new merch is up on Spreadshirt. Yes. Mugs, tote bags, T-shirts, all that good stuff. If and you buy something, all the proceeds will go to Heart to Heart International. Yes. Helping people in Puerto Rico who are suffering right now due we, to big storms. We have had fans in Florida... South Carolina and the Maritimes reach out to us. Thank you. I hope you're safe. I'm glad you're safe. Continue to be safe. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're thinking about you. Wow, Florida looks just yeah. so. Whew. South Carolina, like brace for it. Be millions safe. of people without power. Oof, yeah, not good. Thinking about you. Not good. Spooktober is coming. Yes, yeah, Spooktober is coming. We're doing. Two creepy Agatha Christie episodes, yes. but then the third episode of the month is Listener's Choice. Yes. So you'll see a survey if you subscribed in the newsletter, which you should. You'll see a survey there that'll come out the 5th of October. Is that right? Yes. The survey will be there. And if you don't, okay, fine. You don't, whatever. You'll see the survey in all of our socials a couple of days later. Yep. So vote for which Halloween episode of a British murder mystery you think we should cover or you can add in your own number. You, there's a write-in option. Yes. Sound good? Yes. Yes. Also in the newsletter will be pictures of the beginnings of this year's Halloween display at our mm-hmm. house. So if you don't know, if you're a new listener, we do quite a large, handmade, customized Halloween display on a theme each year. In our yard. Now, Sarah does almost all... All of the building, and I do all of the talking and running the electricity. You do the it. social part. I the, do and the, the social maintenance part. part. Yep. <laughs> Taking Which pictures. I can't do. Of. Okay, so that's my announcements. The next two are all you. Yes. The first one is Kay Woodman Maynard is one of our listeners. Now, she followed us. And I follow everybody back on Instagram who follows us. And I looked at her pictures and she had this incredible art. And I figured out that she had done a graphic novel adaptation of The Great Gatsby. That's beautiful. It's just insanely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So then I heard that she was going to be at SBX, which is a big comic book convention in Bethesda, Maryland, Mm -hmm. I which I would love to go to, but it's at the wrong time in the year. Yeah. And, but I had a friend in town who I do some comic book stuff with who was going to this. So I made a package up of my comic book stuff for Kay Woodman Maynard and sent it off. So your friend took your package yes. to SBX to give to Kay. Yes. And then Kay returned the <laughs> package, which was so incredibly nice. Including a watercolor of our new logo. Yes. Which is just gorgeous that we're going to frame and put up in the house. We'll take a picture Thank of it. you so much, Kay. Yes. Well, I'm by the time this episode comes out, look in my feed on on the Instagram feeds for the show because I will have done a reel that shows some of the artwork and talks about it. Yeah, it's really great. Thank yep. you, Kay, so much. Thank you so much, Kay. And last but not least. Last but not least. We this have, is my favorite announcement of the week before we dive in. <laughs> We I'm not gloating. An end. Except a lot. To the Sister Boniface conspiracy. The so, train station Sister Boniface conspiracy. So just to reiterate, I noticed in episode one of the new Father Browns 
that in the background of the scene in the train station, there was a woman who looked quite a bit like Sister There Boniface. are two nuns sitting there, yep. one wearing glasses, and you said, I think that's Lorna Watson. I think that's Sister Boniface in the background. Yes. This divided the internet. I disagreed vehemently. Some were in Camp Sarah that mm-hmm. said, no, there was one person on Facebook that just said, uh, because I posted it as a question yeah. and they said, no, <laughs> that was their entire comment. You don't need to argue it. It's obvious. But there were others who sent me pictures of the two of them together, which I was like, yes, yes, absolutely. And said, sorry, Sarah, this is true. And I was like, uh-uh. Nuns and glasses are not all identical. We argued about this on an episode, and we now have definitive... You mean two, two episodes episodes. we've been debating this, but now we have a definitive answer. We have a definitive answer. Because you sent messages to everyone you could related to that episode and asked them. We reached out to a couple of people we know in England and see if we could get in touch with people. You even looked at Lorna Watson's filmography to see if she was filming something else when that one was filmed. I did do that. And you had a a cork board with red string on it practically. Yes. And two days ago, from when we're recording this, we got an email from one Jude Tyndall. Mm-hmm. Who is Jude Tyndall? You, the name may be familiar because she basically wrote every Father Brown that we covered. Mm-hmm. She wrote Christmas episodes. And I think she wrote the Halloween episode. She wrote a whole bunch of mm-hmm. them. She's also co-creator of Sister Boniface mm-hmm. and Shakespeare and Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. somebody who will definitely know. So she says the following. I was sent your podcast on the Bride of Christ. I really enjoyed your forensic critique. (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) That's a very nice. Fabulous stuff. And I hope I can answer one question as I wrote the episode. And then she goes on to answer the question and she's a very nice lady. Read it. (laughs) Read it. She says, and hope I can answer a question as I wrote the episode. It wasn't Lorna in the background of the other episode. You are quite right. They're transmitted out of order. And in fact, episode six was the last one written in which time the one with the bespectacled supporting art- artist had already been shot. Mm-hmm. So I and am, go on. What does it say? Uh SRB's blog for the episode said, earnest eyes behind owl glasses because she's a boffin. Yes. So what does that translate that for our American viewers? (laughs) (laughs) The description of the character is that she should wear glasses. Yeah. Because she's a sciencey person. Yes. But the nun in the train station is not Sister Boniface. No. It is not. This is definitive. This is definitive. Lorna Watson wasn't on the set. She was not there. Nope. It is not her. I was wrong. Completely and utterly wrong. And me and my camp were right. Yes, you were. Yes. Listeners, the man before me sucks the fun out of being right. (laughs) I can tell you. He does this whole... Oh, you were right. I was wrong. Okay. You can't even, he just, you can't gloat. It's no fun. You can't be like, neener, neener, neener. Cause he's like, oh, okay. I was wrong. <laughs> you ruin it. If this wasn't as definitive as it is, I would still be trying to fight it. But <laughs> this is pretty definitive. Yeah. Yeah. How amazing is it that we got email from Jude Tindall? I know. That's incredible. And it's so nice of her to settle the argument. I was mean to Sarah. I sent her a text that said, I have a definitive answer on the Sister Boniface conspiracy. And that is all I said. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't speed home that day to get back to find out. The other part of this is we now have Jude Tyndall's email address. (laughs) (laughs) And I may have already asked her if she wants to be on the show. 
And she's agreed. She's agreed. So. Which is just so wonderful. Sometime in the future, we're going to have Jude Tyndall on, much like the episode where we had Lisa on. Yeah. So it'll be a. So if you have questions about the storylines of Sister Boniface or the new Father Browns or Shakespeare and Hathaway. Yep. Send them along. Yeah. We'll, we'll put them on our list of questions we're going to ask her. I'm sure she's going to be a blast. We had such a blast with Lisa. I think we're going to have a blast with you also. Yes, absolutely. She seems to be such a great lady and is doing super interesting stuff that we're super interested in. Yep. She's right up the Mystery Maniacs bailiwick. Yep. Uh, it's not scheduled yet, so we don't know exactly when that episode will come out, but we'll be sure to keep you in the loop. Yes. It's exciting. Absolutely. That's your win. I win on the Sister Boniface front, and you win on the landing that interview front. Yep. Good job. That's fantastic. Are you ready for wackadoodle Father Brown? Okay. So this is, uh, first of all, I realized that this is over f- almost 50 years ago. Yes. But we are going to spoil this episode. <laughs> Of short stories written over 110 years ago. (laughs) We're going to spoil them. We're going to say who did it. I... If that bothers you, I guess stop listening. We had one listener who sent us a message that said, I'm halfway through the first one that you're watching, and this is wackadoodle. (laughs) We told you. And we just get some more wacky, too. So I get to go first, and I'm covering The Arrow of Heaven. Yeah. Which is episode 12 of Old Father Brown. We don't even have to say season number because there was only ever one. Yes, there's 13 episodes. And neither of these episodes, another thing about these episodes, I think one, your episode is the most wackadoodle. Mm-hmm. My episode may be the most influential, but neither of these episodes are covered in the new Father Brown. No, no. I, think I Jude, don't know how they could be. I think Jude <laughs> kind of looked at those and said, no. Not those. <laughs> no, let's no. not do those. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you about my episode and then you'll tell me about yours. We may be able to ask her why there's no robots in the circus episode. (laughs) Why she chose clowns instead of robots? Why did you go with clowns instead Hmm. of robots? Yeah, that was an interesting decision. Why not clown robots? (laughs) Robot clowns. Wow. We are maniacs. Before I dive into this episode, I have to tell you some interesting things about Kenneth Moore, who played Father Brown in the original series. Okay, Kenneth Moore, who at this point in time is one of the highest paid actors in England. He's big time. He is super big time. And then he decides to do Father Brown, right? But I think I know why. I I think I can kind of explain that. Okay. In my episode, there is a character named Petra Merton. She's the only other woman in the episode. Literally the only other woman in. She's the only woman in it. I'm going to say CK maybe should have talked to some more women. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is 1910. He's writing this stuff. I understand. But still, half of the population was still women when he was alive. But Petra Merton is played by Angela Douglas. Now, she's a young character in the episode. She's the niece of the murder victim. And so she's like a jet setter go-getter. She flies a plane and stuff, right? So She's she's... Totally like a flapper in the episode. Uh, it, yeah, sort. sort of. Yeah. But she's in her early 20s. She's yeah. she's a niece, yes. right? She's played by Angela Douglas, who is Kenneth Moore's wife. Oh. Yes. So Father Brown and the niece, Petra Merton, are married in real life. That's a separation of age that my episode will beat. 27 years. Well, my episode's going to beat that. But it's more interesting than that. So... When they met, he was married. He was 47 and she was 20. Okay. And he separated from his wife, but he could not divorce her. Oh, okay. But they lived together okay. for years before the divorce laws changed in England and allowed him to get a divorce. Oh, okay. And during that time, they were ostracized completely. Oh, okay. Neither of them got many I jobs didn't know that. during that time. Okay. Once they were married, everybody was like, oh, Okay, now it's all right again. Weird. So, yeah, they were shunned, but that, anyway. Five years after this episode was filmed, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, with a rare form of Parkinson's, and he died two years later. Yeah, he's he's not, he doesn't look sick in these episodes. It's not like Jeremy Brett. 
no. season three. But he's slowing down. He's slowing compared down. Compared to the roles he played before. Before he was in so many things. And she took a break from acting and took care of him the whole time he was sick until he died. Like she was right there the whole time. Wow. It's it's so romantic that they were able to do this episode together. Yeah. And he's a priest. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he can't kiss her. Like they can't even have like a romance. No, no. It's, it's not even but possible. But they do have a moment like in the airport. It's a weird episode. Yeah. <laughs> where they kind of, she talks to him. Like he's they, avuncular to like, her. Yeah. They he's, have a he's a priest. There. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Yes. Okay. So here's the. Short summary of my episode. Okay. Okay. A really weird uh, millionaire. Yes. Uh, named Brander Merton. Mm-hmm. Wants to buy a chalice called the Coptic Cup that is cursed. He buys it at auction for a hundred thousand pounds. Oh my gosh. Which is a humongous amount of money. Yes. Okay. But it's cursed. The mm-hmm. prior two owners were murdered unsolved when yes. they owned it, right? Yes. It just so happens that Brander lives in what is quite possibly the strangest house ever built. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yes. And now uh, this isn't a real house. No. No, no. The only part of it that is above mm-hmm. ground is a tower yep. surrounded by a moat. Yep. That has one window and the rest of the house is underground. We see a model of it. Yeah. But that's it. The exterior of the house is made of metal covered in concrete that can be electrified at a moment's notice. Cannot make this stuff up. (laughs) And razor wire. Yep. And big signs that say keep out and has red skulls on them. Yep. And is patrolled by a small force of security guards. Who are basically gangsters. And frisk everybody. Yep. All the time. Including Father Brown. Right? (laughs) Meanwhile, his brother, we can just call him Wild Bill, because he looks like Wild Bill Hickok crossed with Colonel Sanders, but his name is Hector. His brother and his daughter, Petra, are there. And Hector has, without a doubt, the worst American accent. Oh, yes. I'm a Merc, and I fought them there, Red Indians. It's real racist. Yeah. Okay. We acknowledge it. We acknowledge it's super racist. The racism. Anyway, but Colonel Hector's actually kind of a good guy. Like, he gave their African mining employees a 4% raise, and Brander's like, oh, how can you give them so much money? Yeah. I remember that part. Okay, Colonel Sanders and his daughter Petra are there to visit Brander, who is the millionaire with the cup. Also, there is a personal assistant, John Wilton. Yes. Who is Brander's secretary. Yep. And a strange journalist come art critic named Norman Drage. Forgot about Norman. Who's the only actual American in the episode. Yes. And uh, side note, he's played by David Healy, who among all of his credits, was the voice of the right knocker in Labyrinth. Oh. Do you remember the knockers? Yes. One has the ring through his ears and one has it through his mouth. Yeah. He plays the one with it through his ears. Oh. The one who looks like Olive. Yeah. He plays the voice of that one. Okay. Of course, Brander has the cup. The prior owners have been murdered. Brander's going to get murdered. He does get murdered, but he doesn't get murdered until after Father Brown is sent for. He flies in a plane with Petra. They go back. He's there. Why is to, Father Brown sent for? He's sent for to identify the cup because they don't know where it comes from, but they know that it has some kind of religious attachment, okay. but they don't okay. know what. That's a, that's a valid-ish reason. And Petra thinks he's probably going to get murdered and maybe Father Brown can help because okay. maybe he can solve the murders of the other two and prevent him from being murdered. Yes. Okay. Father Brown gets there, doesn't even get to meet Brander. The first time he walks into Brander's office, which is the only room above ground in the compound with a window, he finds him dead with a big arrow in his neck. A giant metal arrow, isn't it? No, it's a wooden Indian arrow. It's a wooden Indian arrow. Because it's Hector's. It's one of his souvenirs Ah. from the, the war with the Native Americans. That's right. Including the bow. It's through his neck and on it is a little typed note that That says, Daniel Doom, murderer. Daniel Doom is the name that the killer of the other two has given himself. Why don't they just go to the Doom residence and arrest Daniel Doom? I don't know why they don't just call him and say, hi, is this Daniel? Hey, Dan. Damn, Daniel. Are you a killer, Daniel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I sent the note. Damn, Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Uh, That's on it. Father Brown realizes that it's actually the personal assistant who killed him because he is the son 
of the prior owner who was murdered because he has figured out that the current owner, Brander, the victim, was the killer. Ah. So, so the, was... the victim killed the prior two owners yeah. so he could get it, and now he's been killed by the son of the prior owner. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Meanwhile, Hector, who claims to have survived the Battle of Little Bighorn, only one horse survived the Battle of Little Bighorn yes. on Custer's side. One horse. No men. No. Um, except two who pretended to survive, but they were disproven later. Anyway, meanwhile, Hector's just being Colonel Sanders, and it's just really weird. There's also a bodyguard named Harris who thinks that he's like from 1920s Chicago in a pinstripe suit. Yes. And his whole job is to walk into rooms ahead of Brander and like look at everybody. Yep. Like he's clearing the room for him in his own house. It's so weird. It's very strange. So that's the... Short version. Is there any talk in this episode about America? Only in as much as Hector has been there. Okay. And they're all supposed to be Americans. Okay. But only Hector really makes a big deal out of it. Okay. You'll see why when I get to my episode, why I asked that. Okay. So here's the weird thing about this episode. <laughs> well, okay. I shouldn't say that. That's the weird thing? Here's the weird thing about how the murder is solved. So Father Brown realizes that the typed Daniel Doom murderer note on the arrow was typed on Drake, who is the art critic journalist, was typed on his typewriter. Okay. Is the typewriter in the episode? Yeah. What time the typewriter is it? Uh, I don't know, but you should look at it. And it's at, uh, I made a note. It's at 4030. Okay. It is the kind of typewriter that doesn't have a shift. It has a full set of capital letters and a full set of Ooh. lowercase letters. Ooh. So the keyboard is humongous. It is. Anyway. And that would be more time appropriate. So he realizes the note on the arrow wasn't typed consecutively. It's actually made out of two strips of paper. Okay. The Daniel Doom is one strip and Murderer is another strip. And Murderer isn't capitalized. Okay. So Father Brown figures out, okay, these two pieces were cut from something else. Yep. And what they were cut from is a blackmail letter that Norman Drage uh, had sent to Brander to say, I know you're the killer. I know you killed those other two guys. So you're going to let me come to your house and get a whole bunch of your money. Oh, okay. So Norman Drage actually solved the case. Yeah. He's the one who discovered that Brander was Daniel Doom, mm -hmm. not Father Brown. So what does Father Brown do in the episode? Figures out that the words came from a blackmail letter and since Wilton is the assistant, he opens the mail. Okay. So he would have had the letter to cut the words out of. By the way. So he must have been the one to put him on the arrow. These, like the new Father Browns, are 50 minutes. Things hustle in these episodes. Things hustle. So not only does Father Brown not solve it, but it couldn't have happened because they make this huge deal out of how Brander is really paranoid, Right. So all the security guards have been like triple background checked. They've all been vetted like five different ways to make sure that they'll be absolutely loyal. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that his assistant is the son of a man that he killed. Yeah. Like he would do. He yeah. changed his name from John Wilton Hoarder to John Wilton. Mm, where'd the hoarder go? <laughs> and he wouldn't have done enough background check to know that. Yeah. Like. That's if he didn't recognize him. There like, are some plot holes. He would have had to case, episodes. you know, he would have had to case the house of the hoarders. That's their name. Yeah. To, to, to steal it, to kill the guy and steal it. And he would have known that he had a son and what his son looked like. But then his son magically becomes his assistant yeah. without him knowing that that's who he is. Yeah. But the big deal is that Hector shows how them engines used to throw knives and hit people like a mile and a half away. Phew! <laughs> and then Father Brown realizes, oh, if you can use a knife like an arrow, you can use an arrow like a knife. So he wasn't shot with an arrow through the neck. He was stabbed with it through the neck. Yes. Aha! Then John Wilton, who killed him, kills himself. Mm. The end. Literally, the end. Yeah. By the way, my story starts with there was a rich multimillionaire, American multimillionaire. Oh, yeah. And ends with and he kills himself. The end. Well, in this case, the multimillionaire doesn't kill himself. His, Me, his killer does. His killer does. Right. Also, exact same in my episode. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like uh, there's so many weird 
things. Yes. Like, so Brander is so paranoid that not only does he live in this compound, but his office only locks from the outside. So when he goes in, the door shuts behind him and he's locked in until he presses a buzzer and his bodyguard unlocks the door and lets him out. Why doesn't the secretary just leave him in there and forget about him? Yeah, really. I don't know where he is. <laughs> of course, there's a will, and that's a red herring. Yeah. You know, did the did somebody in the family kill him? It's it's really it's a locked room mystery. Yeah. So basically, the bottom line is is that Wilton slipped in and and under the guise of making sure Brander was ready to see Father Brown and killed him, and then said, "Oh, you can come on in." Yeah. So he couldn't have died that fast. He would have still been going. The. <laughs> Decided lack of blood. I remind you, my story has two decapitations. Is <laughs> <laughs> a problem in both of these episodes. Yeah, there, I mean, there's there's very little blood, and and that's fine. Brown has never been in an airplane before, or as the Brits would say, aeroplane. Aeroplane. I don't know why they insert an O in the middle. He's never been in a plane, so we get to see him on a plane. We get to hear him talk about how whales are monogamous for some reason. He crosses the channel in the story for my episode in a boat, and he doesn't want to cross the channel. It's the first time he's ever been to France. Well, he doesn't want to fly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But he does, It's and it's kind of silly. But, I mean, really, the star of the show is Hector. Yeah. Because he's just so weird. How he and this other guy, Brander, can be brothers and be so different. So when was this written? Did you write that down? It would be early 1900s. Yes. 1910s. Yes. So Lil Bighorn is 1876. Mm. Could have been a, a young man there, but there's also more this, likely he's boasting. There's also this weird scene where Father Brown accidentally rips a doorknob off with his umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm not making it up. I'm telling you. <laughs> but when they talk about the house being electrified once the switch is thrown. Yes. It made me think of Electric Vendetta and Midsummer Murders. Absolutely. Where he sets up a house that is electrified. By the way, that was mentioned on Reddit this week. Oh, yeah. People are like, what happened to that second guy? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows. No one knows. Everybody forgot all about him. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's super weird. It's super weird. So uh, the last thing I'll, I'll tell you. Are there any famous people in it other than. Well, Yes, I've got two movies for you. Oh, okay. But the last thing I'll tell you that's really strange about this episode is at the end, Brown gets everybody together, of course, to tell him that he solved the mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Except for the journalist who actually solved the mystery. Yeah. He, he leaves him in his room, right? So he's got everybody around a table and he's confronting them. And Wilton, who is the killer in this episode, yeah. goes into the office and kind of closes the door. And when he's, and because he says, Father Brown, can I talk to you? And they go off and they talk, but you don't know what they've had to say. And then Brown comes back and he leaves Wilton in the, in the office that locks, right? And he comes out to talk to everybody else. And he says, Wilton knows who Daniel Doom is. He's solved the mystery of who killed the other, the prior two owners. And everybody in the room assumes also killed this guy, right? Yeah. Daniel Doom. And they're like, awesome. And he's like, and he's killed him. And they're like, that's great. Wilton killed the killer. Yeah. That's super. He he can't go to jail. He did the right thing. Yeah. And Father Brown kind of looks at him like, okay. And he goes, and Daniel Doom was Brander, the man who dies in this yeah. episode. Yeah. And then they're like, string him up. He's a killer. He's yeah. awful. Right? And Brown gets mad at them and says, no, when you thought he had you know, he points out their hypocrisy. When you thought he he had killed some scoundrel, you were all for letting him off the hook. But now that he's killed Brander, who was the scoundrel, you want to string him up? I don't think so. No. So he's arguing that Wilton should be free. Yeah, that's what that's he's what he's arguing for. Yeah, he's saying no. We gotta let. We can't. We can't hold this against him. He killed the killer. Yeah. And then you hear a gunshot Uh, and Wilton's killed himself. Yeah. How did they get into the room to check? Well, the bodyguard's there. He's the one with the key who can actually unlock the the door. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's the only one who can let Brandon in and out of his office. I thought the buzzer was the only way to open the door. Oh, no. The buzzer is, I want to let out, please. (laughs) Can you imagine having to ask your assistant to let you out of your office every Mm. time you needed to go pee? No. Like, that would get annoying real fast. 
It's just, uh, it's just the house. The concept of the house is just so, so weird. So very weird. But two of the actors who are in this episode yep. are also in incredibly horrible movies. Okay. Do you want to play horrible movies? I, I do. Before been, we do your episode? I've been, yeah. Let's play incredibly horrible movies. Just to tell you, I'm I'm in my October phase of watching bad horror movies. Every day I've watched Burn Witch Burn this week. Oh, I don't care. I watched, you haven't seen these. I, I watched The Vampire Lovers today. Uh, uh, uh. I'm going to get two points here. You ready? Okay. okay, the first one is from 1974. Okay. And these are going to be older because the no, actors no, no. are older. That's, That's just how it is. Yep. Mike Pratt, who plays Hector. Yes. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders. Is in this movie. Okay. The tagline is, they came across a billion miles of space driven by the greatest force in the universe, survival. Is this Day of the Triffids? No. Okay. An organization called Shadow fights off aliens who are infiltrating Earth by disguising themselves as humans. They kill humans and animals and use them for body parts. So this is a body snatchers ripoff movie. It's American. A highly secretive military organization is set up in hope of defending the Earth from this alien threat. Mersh. They're uh, called Shadow. Shadow. Supreme no. Headquarters Alien Defense Organization. No, I don't know this movie at all. It's called Invasion UFO. Invasion UFO. Yes. And it's the first of a series is of it movies. Invasion colon UFO? Yes. You will know this movie when you see the poster because the main alien female has lavender hair that in the front is cut like a Romulan's. Like it, her bangs come down to a point between her eyebrows. As soon as you see it, you'll be like, oh, I've seen her before. No, she's not on the poster. I've not seen her. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes. See? Yeah, yeah. I've seen her in a book before, but I never saw this movie. Okay. So that's one point for me. Yeah, it's purple. She has kind of cool hair, except for the widow's peak part. Yeah, except for the bangs. It's a nice color. That's what I said. It's lavender. Yeah. Okay, that's one point. Are you ready? Yes. The second one is from 1967. Ooh, okay. And... George Rubick, who plays John Wilton, the, the murderer yes. in this episode, is in this movie. Tagline. It's taken man thousands of years to do what the brain can do in seconds. Destroy the world. What are you going to do about that, Michael Caine? Oh, okay. That's okay. on the poster. Yep. <laughs> they kind of break the third rule there. A former British spy stumbles onto a plot to overthrow communism with the help of a supercomputer... But who is working for whom? I've seen this movie. And Michael Caine is in it. There, There's a point where there's like a circular thing that has lights in it. There's the brain. Oh, there's a lot of flashy lights. Yep. Yes. The voice of the computer is played by Donald Sutherland. Oh. But wow. what is the name of this movie? Wow. <laughs> I can see smoke coming out of your headphones. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen it. I definitely haven't seen it. Carl Malden is in it, Carl too. Carl Malden is in it. I know this movie, but I've never seen it. It is called Billion Dollar Brain. Billion Dollar Brain, yes. Two points for me. Two points for Sarah. Actually, it looks like kind of a good movie, sort of. Let's get Michael Caine and Donald Sutherland in it. I love Michael Caine. Yeah. But the plot of this thing is kind of dubious. Billion Dollar Brain is pretty amazing for 1967. Oh, yeah. Way ahead of its time. That's- that's a lot of brain. But people are pretty critical of it. <laughs> and not just because, that's not how computers work. Like, it's kind of hokey, apparently. And that is my part of the show. It's your turn now. Yes, my turn is to tell you about the secret garden. So this is about a little girl who finds a garden, right? And a little boy who's sick and she cheers him up. I don't know, because both <laughs> the novel and the story were serialized at the same time in the same year. What? Yeah, 1910. Both, both the novel and the The Secret story. Garden novel about the little girl. And this story were serialized in the same Wow, can time. you imagine if you picked up the wrong <laughs> next chapter? Like, wait a minute, did the little girl get decapitated? <laughs> <laughs> That's different. Has she become a priest? What is going on? I can't find any reference to the two of them, but apparently secrets and gardens were in the air okay. at that point in time. I looked it up. I'm like, because I was like, well, obviously this is first because this was written. And oh, no, 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 no. Same time. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about it. This is a story of a rich American millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Whose name 
is Julius K. Brain. Brain? Brain. Is he the billion dollar brain? <laughs> Julius he, Brain. Yes. Okay. And he and father, And he gets decapitated? Yes. Okay. <laughs> He's going to lose his billion dollar brain. And he and Father Brown are on their way to, uh, to France to meet a friend of his who is Aristide Valentin. Okay. Or Valentine. Okay. When you think of Valentine, what do you think of? I, I think of uh, hearts and candy. Hearts. So now we have a heart. Uh-huh. And a and, brain. And a brain. Oh. <laughs> the symbolism is deep in this one. Now, Aristide is very pompous. Mm -hmm. He is a judge in... No, he's the chief of police of Paris. Okay. Sorry. And he is an atheist, an avowed atheist. Okay. And the Catholics want his head. Oh. Right? The Catholics are upset with him. Okay. Because he's said all these things about Catholicism. This, mm -hmm. this episode is really, one way to look at this episode is Anglicanism, Catholic, Catholicism, Catholicism, and atheism oh. at war with each other. Okay. Okay. So Valentine, So is Brain an Anglican? Brain is figuring out where he's going to give all his money to, mm. and he's looking for charities. Okay. Now, Father Brown knows at this point in time, before the story starts, that Brain is going to give most of his money to the church. Okay. He's going to give a little bit now, and then when he dies, the church gets all of it. Okay. Catholicism gets all of it. Okay. Okay. They're going to a dinner party. There are other people at this dinner party. Do they actually make it look like Paris, or do they stand in front of a backdrop that has the Eiffel Tower painted on Darn. it or something? It's not even that. They okay. say, we've <laughs> arrived in Paris. Here's a newspaper that's in French. Okay. <laughs> Valentine gets to his house after looking after a uh, guillotining of a man. Okay. Now. That's the first beheading. Okay. Trivia time, Sarah. Mm -hmm. When do you think the last person was guillotined in France? It's really the last time a person has been guillotined in the Western world. Wow. I'm going to say after World War One, but before World War II. I'm going to shock you. It is in our lifetime. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So after 1975? Yes. They were guillotining people in France in the 70s? In 1977, the last gentleman was guillotined in France. Jeez. In our lifetimes. Get with it, France. People were guillotined. 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 You speak French. You I should do. say guillotine. Guillotine. All the people who speak French are like, stop it with the L's, Mark. Guillotine. Guillotine. That's how Hector would say it. <laughs> hey, y'all, let me guillotine this red Indian. So Valentine shows up at his house, which is a fortress. Okay. It, it has a walled garden, one entrance, and armed guards and bars on the window. How familiar is that? <laughs> Very familiar. Oh, at least it has windows. Because he's worried about being attacked, mm -hmm. right? He invites a number of people for dinner, okay? And his, the dinner companions include Father Brown and Brain, <laughs> <laughs> but also Lord Galloway and Lady Galloway and Lady Margaret Galloway, who's their daughter. Okay. So they're, they're Anglicans. Okay. British aristocracy, mm -hmm. right? And then... And they go all the way to France for a dinner party? Yep. Okay. <laughs> the Duchess of Mont-Saint-Michel is there also. She is a dark-haired, vampy, older lady cougar. Okay. Of, of Mount Michel. Yep. Michel Mountain. Yep. Okay. And she, and she is followed by Commander Neil O'Brien. Is he Scottish? He's Irish. Irish. And he's Catholic. Ah, oh. and he is Charles Dance. Oh yes, you might remember oh Charles Dance as the patriarch of the um the Lannisters, the Lannisters in Game of Thrones, yes. who was shot with a crossbow while sitting on a toilet. That's that's yes. Dance. This is Charles Dance's first appearance. How old is he? He's twenty-seven. Oh. Okay. I referenced in your part something about an age difference in marriage. Mm -hmm. It's not Charles Dance. Charles Dance's father. Okay. When the, Charles his his character's father? No, no. Oh, when his Char actual father. His actual father. Him and, and uh, uh, Kenneth Moore may have said something to talk about. Okay. Because Charles Dance's father was 72 when he was born. 
Wow. Charles Dance's father fought as a as a officer in the Boer War. Wow. <laughs> How old was his mom? 22. Whoa, 50 years? Yep. Wow. <laughs> okay, Grandpa, let's get married. That's his second marriage. He, wow. Charles, Charles Dance has really old half-siblings. Yeah, I bet he does. Well, they're all dead now. Well, no, yeah. Charles Dance isn't dead, but everybody no. else is dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's the last surviving how, dancer. How many bar bets did he win going? The closest relative... Who fought in the Boer War. Yeah. Or the biggest age difference between your parents. Yeah. 50 years. Shazam. Wow. Shazam. Charles Dance with a full head of hair, which is rare for us to Mm -hmm. see at this point. But red hair because he's Irish. Yes. No. He's Irish, so he has red hair. Red hair. He's Irish. They all have red hair. He's Catholic. Does he say, (laughs) oh. Thankfully, he doesn't attempt an Irish accent okay, at all. that's good. So they're all in the house with the servants. <laughs> they're all in the house with the servants. And several sources say this is the very first dinner party murder. Oh, because this is before Agatha Christie. This is way before Agatha Christie. This is the first time where people are all brought to the house for a dinner party and there's a murder at the dinner party. Wow. This, some people say that this is the beginning the of template. Cluedo yeah. and Clue and all of that. Is, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's why I say that this may have longer lasting reach. Absolutely. That this is like the first instance. It's the first country house murder. Yeah. So what happens is they find a dead body in the backyard with his head cut off. Mm -hmm. And Father Brown obsesses over some trees. And (laughs) the doctor, oh, there's a doctor also. Oh, there's always a doctor. Yes, his the doctor's name is he an alcoholic? Because no, they're usually alcoholics. No, but he is science. Oh, right. Okay. So yes. that's his part in here. Yes. And he asks five essential questions about the murder, and only Father Brown can answer them. The whole thing is a veiled uh, metaphor for how religion can answer questions that mm-hmm. science can't. Gotcha. Right? So they find the dead body. They bring it inside. They don't know who it is. Oh, because the head's gone. No, no. They, when they move the body, they find that the head is not connected. Oh. Charles Dance has a sword, but he lost the sword. There's a sword on the wall, but it's gone. But then it gets replaced. <laughs> anyway, we figure out that the killer is Valentine and he is killed brain. And the way he did it is this. Wait a minute. The body was brain, but they didn't recognize him? No, because this is what happened. Valentine was showing Brain how a sword works in the backyard, which is why the trees were cut. And when, how a sword works. And you flip this switch and then you got to move it like And that. when Brain was was lulled into a sense of okayness mm-hmm. with Valentine with the sword, yeah. Valentine cuts his head off with the sword. Okay. Okay. Now, none of this is forensically possible. No, no, no. Because he takes Brain's head and throws it over the wall. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get to see that happen, right? <laughs> into the Seine. No, uh, we don't get oh, to Oh, he throws it into a river. Yes, because okay. the, the Seine goes okay. right by his house. Okay. And then he pulls out from some unknown location the head of the dead body of, of the guillotine man that he would just witness. <laughs> that he's just been carrying in his pocket? He got it in his pocket or something. Okay. He plops that down in, in front of... Brain's body. So it's brain's body, but not brain's brain. Okay. Oh, <laughs> you're so clever. So that's why they they don't understand. And then brain is missing. So they all assume brain is the killer. But wait a minute. So he takes the time to match the neck up yes. enough that they don't notice he's been beheaded until they move him? Yes. Okay. And nobody gets any blood on them. Okay. <laughs> there's no blood like everywhere. Yeah. No. <laughs> so then there's a murder outside the house and everyone assumes it's Brain who is killed again, right? Because it's another decapitation. Okay. And the reason why they know it's another decapitation is because they find a head in the river. So now three people have no, been decapitated. No, no, no. Oh. They don't find a body. They find Brain's head. Oh, okay. Brain's brain. <laughs> Okay, so they think now brain's been but killed too. But they don't too. know it's brain. <laughs> <laughs> so they think that brain did it. How do they not know it's him if it's his head? They they haven't seen it. Oh, okay. But as soon as they so see they think it, brain's off decapitating people. Yes. Okay, and this is the second victim. <laughs> brain is taking brain. <laughs> 
Okay. But Father Brown figures out that the reason why, because it's like, why would you just not stab the guy instead of cutting his head off? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason is, well, he needed to cut the head off so, so he could so he could use the other right. hand over the wall. <laughs> you have to realize every time Mark says over the wall, he throws his arm up over his head like he's flinging something behind they him every the time. They say the walls are 10 feet high. That is a long ass throw for Brain's head. Up over the wall and into a river? Into the river. Yeah, that's a long throw. Does yeah. he have long hair? Like, does no. is there a handle? No. Because if he was bald, it'd be real hard to throw yes, it. it if be. he's got some hair, you could get a... <laughs> You'd have you know, to you put your fingers it. in his nose like yeah. a bowling ball. But even then, it'd be better if you could swing him, get some speed yep. up, and then, you know, let him go. No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wow. this convict's head matches Brain's body? Like, perfectly. <laughs> Supposedly. Well, you know, guillotine cuts and sword cuts are identical. They look just alike. Yeah, No problem. Yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> like, if there is a doctor, oh, wait a minute, there, there is, a, is doctor a doctor who would have immediately said, this body and this head don't go together. Yeah, one's tan, one's pale. Yeah, like instantaneous. One's hairy, one's not. There is this whole subplot about the daughter and Charles Dance running off together and the old lady, the cougar lady wanting to be with him too. Nothing to do with anything. Doesn't matter. Just complete uselessness. Does he like cougar lady? No. Does he like and she's Michelle only, Mountain? She's only no. in the show. She's not in the in the story. story. Oh, so she's just eye candy. She, she's just added eye candy. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Catholic Irish Charles Dance and Anglican Richie Daughter can't possibly be together. That's like Romeo and Juliet. Well, of course, her dad doesn't like him. Yeah. Anglicans and, yeah. and Catholics cannot get but, married. But she and him run off because they Aww. don't care. They don't care. Yes. <laughs> so did nobody notice Valentine slipping away with a convicted man's head? Covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> Must have had a convenient basket waiting for it. And yes. Just grabbed it and took off. Uh, I have a dinner Brown's, party to go to. Father Brown says he probably said some. he needed the head for some medical reason. Why? If the chief of police of your town goes, I need a head for medical reason. <laughs> be suspicious. Be suspicious. It's not that he's an atheist that you should have problems with. It's that he's experimenting with heads. You well, should have and a the reason with. why he kills him, the, it's the worst motive ever, because the reason why he kills him is because he's giving his money to the church. Well, Valentine thinks he should get the money? I don't no, but by killing him, the church gets just all the money. Speeds it right up. Away. Yeah, that is the wrong. He just thing makes to sure do. it happens. He should keep him alive and change his mind. That's exactly what he should do. <laughs> but no, I will behead you. But no, the garden of flinging heads. <laughs> so the moral of the story is: if a corrupt policeman invites you to his backyard to show you how a sword works, don't go. So we have Colonel Custard Sanders. <laughs> And the secret, Custard Sanders. Colonel Custard Sanders. And He's the, Wild Bill Sanders. Wild Bill Sanders and the Garden of Flinging Heads. You know, Hector, Wild Bill Sanders, he sleeps with a six-shooter in his hand. Wow. <laughs> He's old. So the guy who If you play, startle him, you yeah. might get shot. The guy who plays Valentine is not a French guy. I know you'd be. Does he pretend to be French? He kind of does. Does he go, oh. No, he doesn't go, oh. But he does. <laughs> does he say, baguette, croissant? He, do, he does say some French words. <laughs> he does. But I was Mon like, Dieu. I was like, that guy is like, he kind of looks like the devil. Like he's got a goatee and it's kind of curly. Yeah. And he's got the mustache and everything. So I was like, well, I wonder, I wonder what else his name is. He's in. First of all, his name is Ferdy Maine. That is a fantastic name. Ferdy? Ferdy. So he's Ferdinand. Yes. But he goes by Ferdy Maine. Okay. Wow. This dude has been in a lot of stuff. Mm. He was in Ben-Hur. Oh. He was in Barry Lydon. Mm. Lyndon. Yes. Barry Mm. Lyndon. And also, one of my favorites, The Fearless Vampire Killers. <laughs> which is... That's the way you got to be if you're going to hunt vampires. It's like carry-on vampires. Yeah. It's, Angela Douglas was in like six carry-on movies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He, he's super cool. But you're right. If this is the first dinner oh, yes. party murder, yeah. that has huge ramifications. Yes. I mean, it's not to say that nobody else would have ever come up with that idea, but it's the, if it's the kind of template no, that inspired I saw other people, of that's, that's amazing. That said that. That's, Absolutely. That's something that, that 
I think Chesterton should get credit for. That I he invented so. the country house murder. There are tons of problems with this. Like, how does <laughs> Valentine know that Father Brown knows that he's the killer? Because the, the head he just tells the, the doctor the head flinging, the lack yeah, of blood, yeah, all, all, all the, of that, all sorts of problems. But it's it's a funny, weird story that tries to do so many things. This is one of those where you really want the scene recreating the crime. You really yeah. want the flashback because you really want to see him fling that head and and, and the, sneak away with the other one. The reason why I asked you this is I asked you about how the U.S. is portrayed. Mm-hmm. And Valentine keeps harping on this. He says it a number of times that the U.S. is such a progressive country. And oh. Brain says it's such a progressive country. Interesting. That they have put religion behind them mm-hmm. and moved into the 20th century. Oh, Interesting. And they they're they are seen as incredibly forward thinking rather than the old world. In which my is episode, Americans are money grubbing people who make money not because they're innovative and hardworking, but because they're greedy and prey upon people's fears. Oh. Well, they are seen as completely progressive. It's very interesting that that the U.S. is seen as such a kind of, the kind of way that we look at Denmark and Finland and Mm -hmm. those Scandinavian countries, Canada, as as being progressive now. That's what the U.S. was. And I'm going to say the U.S. probably not perceived that way in, in France right now. No. No. Wow. So that's the secret garden. Yes. Wow. That's real different from that little Charles girl. Dance's father was in the Boer War. That's insane. That is insane. That's just insane. So that's Secret Garden. Yeah. Mine was Arrow of Heaven. Yes. Let us know if you think there's a crazier episode from this early version of the Father Brown stories on TV in the 70s. Next week. We are covering. So next week starts the Halloween episodes. Ooh. We're starting with the Halloween party with Poirot. Mm-hmm. And that- we've got apple bobbing and Snapdragon, the most dangerous kids game Next to lawn darts. Yes, a child a child dies. <laughs> yes. And then we'll be covering your favorite Halloween episode, which is The Pale Horse. Yes. And then we'll do listener's choice. Yep. So look out for that survey. So look out for the survey. Follow us. Like, subscribe on the YouTube. Yeah, they know all that uh, stuff. Follow us on Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, please send us comments and mail. We love getting it all. Uh, watch for that reel from Kay so you can see the stuff that she sent us. If you like Great Gatsby and you, if you like comic books or graphic novels, pick up her graphic novel. Yeah, just go on Amazon it's and look gorgeous. at the pictures. It's, it's really absolutely. beautiful. She recommends that you go to your local independent bookseller if you can. Yeah, buy it uh, there. Yep. But if you know if you can't buy it, check yep. it out. It's check really, it. It's really pretty. It's absolutely gorgeous. Her, her all of her art is fantastic. She yes. sent us a couple of things, and uh, I want to, of course, thank um, Jude Tyndall for finally giving us a definitive. It's so amazing that we have a definitive answer. Yes, it is. Amazing. We'll never know if Sarah Barney was Barnaby was really in the background of that other episode. No. But we got a definitive answer. I still have hope that we might Boniface. find that out. But, <laughs> I can't but believe you now, still hope about that. Now we got Sister Boniface figured out. Facts. So, facts. Yes. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Schaefer's, which was the first and only full menu fondue restaurant in Indianapolis, when they were carrying oil away from a table, they would yell, hot oil, hot, hot, hot oil.